welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, captivating and revealing interviews with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They regale you with memorable and entertaining stories, some hilarious, some emotional, but all of them well worth your time. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and the TuneIn app. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dog and a Chicago institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by the Polina Market, Chicago's premier purveyors of fine meats and so much more since 1949. Find them at PolinaMarket.com. This week, we feature Bears radio analyst and a member of the Super Bowl champs, Tom Thayer. When we'd come up and pull up to these hotels and I would see these thousands of people waiting to get a glimpse of the Chicago Bears, because I grew up in the area, because I was in awe of Walter Payton, I, I spent that whole year in, in awe of every one of those guys. I was super intimidated by Mike Ditka. So there was a lot of obstacles I was trying to overcome, even though it was my own team. Many of you know him as Jeff Joniak's sidekick and many others remember him as a member of the only Bears team to win a Super Bowl. He's been a prominent member of the organization for over 36 years. He's a lifelong resident of Chicago, having made a name for himself at Joliet Catholic High School and then Notre Dame. Ambitious, enthusiastic, fearless, and analytical, Thayer continues to be a valuable voice for the Bears, and he's not a bad surfer either. So, Tom Thayer, tell me a story I don't know. Well, I guarantee you I'm the best surfer on the 85 Super Bowl team. That's 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 the only thing that's the only thing I know for sure. But you know, it's I had a weird weird journey getting to the Bears, George, because you know, when I was in college and I was working out and I went to all the combines and stuff and I played a variety of positions at Notre Dame, I kind of didn't know where or what I was going to be drafted for. And then it was a couple days before the draft and our draft back in that era was super uneventful. It was just a day of the week and they started the draft and they kind of informed you who picked you and where you were going to go. You had no say in the matter. So about a week before the draft, I was walking out of the Notre Dame weight room and I lived in the weight room. And so I was really thinking, man, I'm, I'm going to be one of those guys. I'm going to be drafted high And Jim Palmer, who was one of the scouts of the bears, I crossed paths with them in the hall at Notre Dame. And he says, Hey, I want to tell you something. I got some good news. We had a mock draft the other day and we drafted you in the fourth round. And I go fourth round. That's crap. I'm not going into four. I'm going before that. And so ironically enough weekend, I get a call from George Allen and his son, Bruce Allen, who are running the Chicago blitz. They ended up calling me or calling my agent, uh, and asking them if I was interested in a contract in the USFL. And I was so disappointed when I was told that I was drafted in the fourth round that I said, hey, let's explore every option that we can have because I feel that I'm better than a fourth rounder. So George devised this plan saying, hey, don't tell anybody that we're talking to you. Come out and meet me at the facility and let's sign, assign you to a contract. But don't tell anybody because it'll give a chance for the USFL to make a big splash to, you know, to get a little bit of uh, promotion or notoriety, you know, on, on the cheap. 
So I said, fine. I was a young, naive kid, and they were going to offer me a guaranteed uh, contract, which was basically unheard of at that time. And so they offered me an opportunity to come to be a part of the USFL, sign a contract, leave school immediately, and go right to practice. So that was on the weekend. That was on a Saturday. So now Tuesday was the draft. And as I had a press conference scheduled Tuesday with the Chicago Blitz up at their facility, we made the announcement that I had signed a contract in the USFL to begin play immediately. After I made that announcement, my dad and I drove home from the Blitz facility. We pulled into the driveway and my sister came running out of the house and said, Tom, Jim Finks is on the phone. The Bears just drafted you. And I go, oh, my God. And my dad looked, and we were all kind of confused. But it was in the fourth round. And, you know, I was still disappointed because there was a couple guys that got drafted ahead of me that I know that I was bigger, better, stronger, and more dedicated than them. But it still, you know, fell on deaf ears. And there I was, a fourth-round draft choice. So at that point, I had signed a three-year guaranteed uh, no-cut contract in the USFL with the Chicago Blitz. However, when the Bears drafted me, they had my rights for four years. So here I am knowing that my next best option after the USFL, if it folds or whatever happens at the end of those three years, I'm going to be able to negotiate with the Bears and, and be able to sign a contract there. So it didn't create any incentive because I was, I had all the incentive I needed. I just wanted to be a professional football player. And that's everything I dedicated myself to up until that point. And so the next day I loaded up my car and I went up to the Chicago blitz facility and I started practice on that Wednesday. I became the starting right guard. Uh, no, the, the starting left guard for the blitz. And, um, when I began playing there, uh, maybe it was the right guard. I'm sorry. I think it was the right guard, George. But anyways, I started playing immediately. And I remember the first game I played was against the Washington Federals. The season premiere of the United States Football League. Today, live from RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C., it's the Chicago Blitz versus the Washington Federals. I was 20 years old, and the guy that I was playing against was a guy named Coy Bacon, and I think mm. he was four, 40 at the time. <laughs> I came in as a really confident kid, and I felt that my strength was going to get me through until I was you know, up to the speed of the game. And so I started playing in the USFL that year, and um, I finished the season. I immediately re-enrolled back in school because I promised Father Hesburgh uh, that I would come back, even though I withdrew from my senior year. I told him that I would come back my first offseason and graduate. So I went back that offseason, fulfilled my requirements in my final hours, graduated at the end of that semester, then went right back to the USFL and played that season. I had an offseason, but in that offseason, I knew Going into that next season, I was going to be in for the long haul because it was the last year of my contract, which is a third year. And we had fun because the second year uh, we went to the USFL championship game. Didn't you, so didn't we, you, weren't you traded though, or didn't you go to a, the, the Arizona team? Our whole, our whole organization. So the owner of the Chicago team was from Arizona and the owner 
of the Chicago, the owner of the Chicago team was from Arizona. The owner of the Arizona team was from Chicago. So they completely flipped organizations. So we, as the Chicago team went out and became the Arizona Wranglers. And then the Arizona Wranglers came in and they became the Chicago Blitz. But I wanted to stay with George Allen because George Allen was a huge, huge influence on my football preparation life. He was a defensive coach, but he kind of taught me preparation week to week like nobody else that I've, I've ever played for. This league is for real. Uh, the Chicago Blitz is for real. And the league is going to go and be successful and expand, and there'll be expansion after that. Uh, anyone that doesn't uh, think that has uh, ulterior motive. And so we went out, I went out to Arizona the second year. We went to the championship game, got beat by the Philadelphia Stars. And so then I had the offseason. My third year, um, we became the Arizona Outlaws because we absorbed the Oklahoma Outlaws and then we became one team. Hold on. So I now gotta, I went. I, I have okay. to interrupt you. I have to write this down. This is getting very confusing. <laughs> but I forgot all this. Yeah, but, you know, I, it's kind of funny because my first two years, uh, my quarterback was Greg Landry. Yeah. And Greg Landry was a 40-year-old quarterback who, after the second year, at the end of our season, went on and signed with the Bears because they, they, had, they got into a desperate situation at quarterback, and he went to the Bears. And from the Oklahoma Outlaws, our quarterback became Doug Williams. Um, mm. You know, Super Bowl, a future yes. Super Bowl success, just a tremendous, tremendous man. I, I, to this day, we are great friends and I love him dearly. Um, and interesting because I was still a 20, 21 year old guy. And from the lessons I was learning from George Allen, they're non repayable. But also the lessons that I was being taught by Greg Landry and now Doug Williams. They were equally as important. Um, so uh, I, I played my third year in the USFL, uh, played the whole season. The last night we were playing was in July. We were playing at Tempe, and it was like 113 degrees at kickoff. It was unbelievable. It was hot. And I remember in the fourth quarter, they flashed a sign up on the scoreboard and they said the temperature has cooled down to 107 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that, you know, that was going to be the last year of my USFL career because during the, about the tail end of the season, I had signed my contract with the bears. And so I knew as soon as I was done with this game, my car was actually loaded and packed in the parking lot. I went from the locker room of my last USFL game into a car, drove nonstop to Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I went there. I bought a Honda scooter. I drove it from Madison, Wisconsin to Platteville, Wisconsin. In the next Monday, I started full pad practice in the beginning of a new season with the Bears. You never, you never skipped a beat, but I want to go back for a moment because – Back then, and we all know that Jim Finks was an outstanding general manager. I mean, they had to be very red-faced to draft you in the fourth round, not knowing you'd signed a contract with an opposing league. Yeah, but, you know, um, we had to go to three different combines. We had to go to one in Tampa, one in Seattle, and one in Detroit. 
And so the groups of guys that I was competing against, uh, uh, Bruce Matthews, Don Mosbar, Jimbo Culver, Dave Remington, and another guy named Dave Dreschler, uh, a guard that ended up being drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the second round. And I, and again, I'm going, I'm better than this guy. I'm, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm faster, blah, blah, blah. And um, if Jim Palmer wouldn't have told me that they drafted me in the fourth round, I still would have been under the assumption that I was going to be drafted higher. And I'm not so sure I would have signed that contract. But when I found out that I was going to be a fourth round pick, I'm saying, well, I have a better financial opportunity going into the unknown um, at that point, because if I was cut by the bears, then I would have just been on the shelf. And I knew that the USFL was going to give me an opportunity to become a better football player, mature, and be around some experienced NFL guys that were going to help my career. And uh, there's, you know, a couple of guys along the way, one of them being our defensive line coach, John Tierlink, who passed away a couple, about a couple of years ago, who was one of the premier defensive line coaches in the history of football, whether it be college, USFL, or the NFL. And he took me every single day under his wing and was teaching me to become a better offensive lineman. So by the time I went to the Bears, I was definitely more prepared than I was the first day I went to the USFL practice field. I want to backtrack a bit from football to surfing, which is an avocation of yours. And it seems to me as if that's a very dangerous sport. And you've been doing it mostly in Hawaii for a long time. So tell me a story I don't know how a rugged football player found surfing. After the 1985 season, I went to the Pro Bowl with Jay Hilgenberg. And I, I had already been to Hawaii as a part of the Hula Bowl as a, a college all-star game and just became, I was in love with the surroundings of Hawaii and everything it offered you in terms of fitness and the ocean and the fitness part of it and everything. And, you know, I, I just loved what it offered. So then I went out there to the Pro Bowl with Jay. And after the Pro Bowl, we, we went over to Maui. And so when we went to Maui, we started working out and we just got right back into working out. And then the, you know, fitness became a part of our daily routine. And I'm going, wow, I'm getting in better shape here than if I was sitting back home in, in the winter and just going to the health club and stuff. So I got introduced to that side of it. So then I went, I kept going back there in the off season. And then I met a, a group of guys that were training every day and I started working out with them. And I was living in the weight room and we are doing physical conditioning and I was in the ocean swimming and I was doing the things that were keeping me and getting me in better shape by the time I went home when football started. And the whole time I was there, I got really attracted to just watching surfing because the waves come with such regularity and there are some spots there that the waves are just enormous. And I just, I became so, I just admired the, the courage of these guys and what they were doing and the fun they were having. And so I always said, man, when I get done playing, I'm, I'm going to start surfing. And uh, so I always kept that in the back of my mind and kept going out there and kept working out and kept training. And it always kept me healthy and kept me ready. And by the time football was getting ready to start, I was already in shape. I didn't need to get in shape. So when I finally knew that I was ready to retire, my last year, I signed a 
when I got cut by the Bears, I signed a two-year contract with the Miami Dolphins. I played my first season down there, and I kind of felt that I was mentally, uh, I was mentally done with the sport. And so I went out to Hawaii after my last year playing with the Dolphins. I had a surfboard made for me, and I stayed out there for about five months, and I started losing weight, and I started surfing. And you know, George, surfing puts that same feeling in the pit of your stomach. Still today, George, and that's the whole reason. When I go out and surf from the time I began surfing, when you pull up to the ocean and you see a significant size of waves, it puts that same nervousness in the pit of your stomach that football did. And to me, that's living. In other words, now, now this avocation, you're playing against the waves. Right. You're playing against yourself. You're playing against your own courage. You're playing against the other guys that are out there surfing that you're competing against them to, to catch waves. And there's kind of a, an approach to it that, you know, you can't just jump on any wave. There's an etiquette part to it that you got to make sure you're in the right position, that you're not interrupting a guy that's already in better position than you to catch. So there's a, so there's a lot of things you're thinking, but the whole idea of, you know, popping up onto a wave that, man, you, you got to make it. You got to stand up because if you fall in a position where there's three or four waves behind you, you got to be ready and you got to be prepared in, in case that case, that worst case scenario presents itself. You, you lose your board, your leash breaks. You got other guys that are coming at you and you're dodging them. You're being in a position where you're being held under a little bit and you got to try to survive to get a breath to, to get into the safe zone. So all of those little things that went through your mind during the course of a football game, you know, where are you in the case of a pile up? What type of collision are you going to have? How great is the guy that you're playing against for those 70 snaps during the course of the game? All those same feelings were very similar to what you were going to face when you were surfing. You know, this takes me into my next question, which is being an analyst. And I'm not sure how many people realize that you've been the Bears radio analyst since 1997. And you have worked alongside some very talented people in Wayne Larravee, Gary Bender, Hub Arkish, and Jeff Joniak. So tell me a story I don't know, Tom. Why did you get into this racket? And how long did it take you to realize you're pretty good at it. Listen, you, you know, we can't be interviewing Mitch and asking him about the plays he wants back because the responsibility of Mitchell Trubisky is not to throw that ball in the first place. And you saw the amount of dark jerseys that were in the end zone, and they have an equal chance to go up for the flight of the football as any other player in the, the linebacker was able to undercut everybody and just snag it out of the air. I still think it's a work in progress I never have the attitude that I'm pretty good at it so now um, you know just go to the game and you'll be prepared to me I think the way you learn football as an offensive lineman is you have to watch a lot of video at the time you have to watch a, watch a lot of tape you have to go back and not only watch the game tape you have to watch all of the practice reps and I'm talking about everything from teamwork to nine on seven to one on ones to seven on seven in preparation for your opponent and I like doing that. I like studying football. Um, and so when the opportunity presented itself, I knew that this is something I wanted to do because I still enjoyed football just as much when I quit playing football um, as when I was playing football. 
And um, then when the opportunity to presented itself to work alongside like a guy like Wayne Larrabee, who I admired his skill, his ability, his way to broadcast different sports. Out of the hole of Mike Tomczak, 52-yard field goal attempt. The angle to the left side. Tomczak down to one knee, arm extended. Waiting for the snap from Maddox. Here it is, the placement made, the kick by Butler. It's on Go. its way to the uprights, and it is oh, good! It was something that I couldn't pass up. And, you know, George, I grew up in Joliet my whole life. I've been a Bears fan my whole life since 1961. I'm a season ticket holder. I remember the first Bears game I had an opportunity to go to was a preseason game against the Packers because a neighbor gave me and a buddy of mine tickets. And so all the things that you remember growing up and then, um, you know, being the youngest in my family, it created such a camaraderie within my family from high school football to college football then on onto the bears it it played an important role in in my life and um so i never want i'd never not wanted to be around football even though i didn't want to play anymore i still wanted to be part of it so it, it just like i said the opportunity presented itself and i wasn't going to pass it up um considering the team and what I wanted to do for the future. So there were two years with Larravee as the lead voice. Of course, he's now with the Packers. <laughs> two more with Bender. And then Joniak walks in, who never did a game. And I imagine you were a bit of a crutch for him in the early going. Yet here you guys are 20 years later in what has become a very enjoyable and enduring team. You know, it's funny. It's something I always remember. The first game I broadcasted, it was me, Hub, and Wayne, and we're in Croke Stadium in Ireland, and it was a preseason game between the Steelers and the Bears. And so, George, I was prepared. I was overprepared. I had watched everything from the last three years, and I knew everything. I went to practice every single day and sat at every practice. So it was maybe literally, you know, tw you know a, a minute before kickoff. And so I looked at Wayne and I go, Wayne, I hope we do this together for a long time. Is there any last minute advice you want to give me before we start this deal? And he goes, yeah, just don't step on my voice. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I listen, man, that one sentence of advice is carried through, even though sometimes I have a hard time holding my emotions back. Oh, we know I, that. I, I understood what Wayne was saying. <laughs> And it really has played an important role. And then to speed up in, up into Jeff. So Jeff had said, look, he is in the interview process to possibly doing the play-by-play -play for the Bears. Um, so we went into the, this, um, the auditorium at uh, Hallis Hall. And we put a game on that had no sound to it. And we broadcasted the game off of video and that was that was the tape that he used um, to introduce his voice to those of, that were making the decision. And when I sat there and was, was sitting alongside of him and we are acting like we are in the stadium doing a game and I listened to him, I listened to his knowledge. I listened to how fluid he was. I listened to the little nuances of the game that he was picking up that would kind of ignite thoughts, how you would remark to him. You kind of felt like, yeah, this this is the guy. And um, even though it's it's such a big market in the broadcasting world in Chicago, that he was up to the requirements that's needed in order to do the job. 
But the examples of his work ethic that I've seen over the last 20 years is just unbelievable. Here's the boot up in the air. Going up for it. Allen Robinson, he's got it. He's caught the ball at the 43-yard line. Flag is down. It's going to be on Green Bay. I think that'll be a fade to black moment with Allen Robinson taking it out of the air. I mean, his dedication, his work ethic, um, his investment in himself and into the Bears and the job and um, what he's willing to do, you know, for the extended hours and the effort he puts in. The dude is incredible, man. I just, I just admire him. And not to say, you know, listen, Wayne, Wayne is Wayne. Everybody around the broadcast world knows what a superstar Wayne is. Um, Jeff and I sit there and we go out to every single training camp practice. We sit there together and we talk about every practice, every drill, everything that we see. And it's still the same today as it was 20 years ago when we began this journey. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by the Polina Market. And with the grilling season upon us, you have no excuse not to shop there. It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and more since 1949. And it's gotten bigger and better. How about chicken and fish in your basket to go along with their absolutely mouth-watering steaks such as the tomahawk, porterhouse, and wagyu. And if you like brats and sausages, add that to your basket and head right to the grill. Then there's the vast frozen food section where everything is freshly made, including chicken pot pies, meatloaf, and pulled pork. Besides the addition of fresh seafood, the Polina Market is now serving sandwiches and also has a solid array of wonderful wines and beers Plus, they've expanded again, making the in-store experience even more satisfying. Remember, you can still order online, and you can have it shipped wherever you live. I've been shopping here for 37 years, and with good reason. The Polina Market is as good as it gets, and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at polinamarket.com. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the free TuneIn app, and wherever you get your podcasts. We continue with Tom Thayer on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Now let me tell you a story about me and Tom. Anytime... I was in need of a sound bite that involved the Bears, Joniak would immediately spit out, call Thayer. And anytime <laughs> I would text you or call you and say, hey, Tom, listen, I need about three minutes of your time, you never hesitated. Matter of fact, you never said no. And the best part of is the questions that I would ask you, you responded unhesitatingly and without missing a beat. You have no idea, Tom, how satisfying that is for those of us who look for that expert that is always there and always good. You know, George, I don't know if you've had a chance to interview Cole Komet yet, you know, the Notre Dame tight end the Bears drafted last year. And Cole, when I have a chance to interview him, he reminds me a lot of the experiences that Notre Dame puts us through. Because one thing about Notre Dame, I was a part of a season at Notre Dame that was the first losing team in 18 years. The Michigan Wolverines have defeated the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, and they have done it convincingly by a score of 25 to 7.
And when you're a part of that, after my sophomore year, we went to the Sugar Bowl and we played Georgia for the national championship. We got beat. They won the national championship. And then you go through a losing season. You spend a lot of time in front of the mic answering questions on a national stage because you are Notre Dame and they want to hear what you have to say and the reasoning why. And so they prepare you for that. And um, it's not something that, you, you know, you ran from the, the microphone. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for the working media that came every day into that locker room and sometimes nervously walked in because of some of the questions they had to ask. But it's more of the respect I learned for the media when at my time at Notre Dame that carried us through to the USFL, to the NFL. And the USFL was a small, small snippet of any media exposure. But then you come there to Chicago and you become a part of the 85 Bears. And man, it's a parade of media every single day. And you look across the locker room, right directly across from me was Mike Singletary. On the other side of the locker room was Walter Payton. In walks William Perry. You know, you, you don't have to say anything about Hampton and McMichael because they are the North Dallas 40 guys that you saw in the movie that you thought they really <laughs> represented yeah. what, what the NFL is. So I never had any disrespect for the working media. Um, and um, I, I understood what that what they were going through. And that was that was their job. Believe me, I, I most appreciate it. You know, before we get into the 85 Bears, I'm intrigued with the dinner you had with the chairman of the board. I mean, the real chairman of the board. Tell me a story I don't know about that experience. So um, after the, it was right around the reopening of the Chicago theater, my buddy who is a friend of mine now for 30 years, Tom Dreesen, a locally grown, locally bred uh, comedian was the opening act for Frank Sinatra. And he did more opening acts for Sinatra than anybody else in the history of his career. So I'm, uh, you know, I knew that he was coming in town. So he calls me up and goes, hey, Tom, you want to go to the Sinatra concert tonight? I go, are you kidding me? Of course I do. And he goes, well, do this. Put on a sport coat, a tie, dress, you know, represent yourself professionally. I'm going to come and pick you up and we're going to go to the Chicago theater and we're going to watch Mr. Sinatra tonight. And I'm, I'm his opening act. So he comes by, picks me up. We go to the Chicago theater. And so now it's, it's me, Dreesen and Tim Reitman. And so before the show, they, we go up and he goes, I want to introduce you to Mr. Sinatra before this concert. So let's go up there and meet him. So it's just like something you'd see out of any movie that you've seen. We walk into the dressing room and Frank Sinatra, once he put his pants on, he never sat down because he didn't want to interrupt the crease in his pants. So we walk up there <laughs> and he's in, he's in his whole upper body, shoes and socks, but he doesn't have his pants on yet. And we come in there and his best friends, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, they're sitting in the dressing room and I'm going, God, this is, this is a scene out of some of the movies that we see of the day. <laughs> and so Tom Dreesen says, Mr. Sinatra, I would like you to introduce you to two of the, our Chicago Bears. This is Tom Thayer and this is Tim Reitman. Um, and they're going to be at the concert tonight and said, wow, it's an honor to meet you. Um, I, I'm just so thrilled because I don't know if I've ever met a bigger superstar, you know, than that. And so we sit up there and we have a little bit of conversation and he says, Hey kid, go downstairs, enjoy the show. We'll see you after. 
And so it was kind of like a mini setup because Dreesen says, hey, while I'm doing my gig, sit out in the audience and watch me. And then when I'm done, come back here backstage and, you know, you can sit here and watch Mr. Sinatra from the stage. So I go, wow. So Dreesen, Dreesen is awesome. And I don't know if you've ever seen him as an opening act or in concert. He's just super funny and super relatable to the audience because he has so much in common with everybody that's there watching. Thank you very much. One correction, uh, uh, I didn't open for Frank Sinatra. He closed for me. Was, uh... Dreesen does his show. After the show, I get up and I walk backstage. Now I'm sitting on the side of the stage and I'm watching uh, Mr. Sinatra do his, his act, not his act, his, his singing. And he doesn't do encores. He does his gig, sets the mic down and walks off. So um, I'm sitting there watching and all of a sudden he's getting ready to do his last song and he looks off the stage and he goes, hey kid, come here. And he points to me. Mm. And so I, I walk out on stage oh, and man. he goes, and he, he goes, he goes, guys, you got to know my good friend here from the Chicago Bears. This is Tom Fair. And, you know, people start clapping because we've just had Super Bowl success and stuff. And he gives me an embrace on stage. and He goes, kid, this song is for you. And he starts singing My Kind of Town, Chicago. <laughs> this is my kind of town, Chicago. Kind of town, Chicago is. Gosh, and what an experience. I, George, I, I mean, still to this day, when I tell it, tell the story to people, they're just blown away, blown away by the whole experience. And so he sings the song and he puts the microphone down. He walks off stage. We walk out an exit door. We get into a limousine. Um, Barbara Sinatra, myself, Frank and Dreesen and Reitman. And we go to the old Kelly Mondelli's that used to be up on Clark Street. Sure, yeah. Um, so we drive up the Kelly Mondelli's. The restaurant's empty. And there's four Chicago police officers, officers sitting at the front table. So we walk into the restaurant. And um, now it's, uh, it's, again, it's me, Dreesen, Frank his wife and Reitman and in the restaurant waiting for us is Ray Meyer. And so, <laughs> wow. Now, <laughs> so this, this is like 1030 at night now after a show and we sit in the restaurant, just the group of us. And we sit there and have dinner and Frank um, tells stories probably till two o'clock in the morning, two 30 in the morning. Um, and it's just an incredible experience for me. And so I was just getting ready for the first time in my life to go to Las Vegas to play in one of those rocks and jocks uh, softball games. And so I was sitting across the table from Mrs. Sinatra and I was telling her I'm really excited. I'm getting ready to go to Las Vegas the first time. And I, I'm really excited about my opportunity. And Mr. Sinatra goes, hey, because let me tell you something about Las Vegas. He goes, Las Vegas is a fun town. It's a good town. He goes, but when I ran Las Vegas, it was the place to be. <laughs> and I was like, just, I was just amazed at everything and on hung on every word he said, every story he told us um, from, you know, Dean Martin stories and uh, some of the other concerts that he played around the world. And, you know, 
I think um, of anybody he brought up, the only player that he was familiar with his name was Walter Payton. And he knew, he goes, hey, you know, tell me about Walter Payton. You know, what, what type of guy he is? Why, you know, why is he so great? And I, you know, I, it just made me be more impressed with being a teammate of Walter Payton because here's one of the most popular men in the world and really one of the only teams or guys that he knew on the team um, he was Walter Payton. And he referred to McMahon as the crazy guy in the headband, um, <laughs> you know, like that. But, you know, when, when Mr. Sinatra makes a reference to Walter Payton, it, I was, again, it made me more impressed to be in that storytelling seat, but to hear him refer to Walter Payton as Walter Payton. And it, I was, you know, just, I was so impressed with Walter anyways that it just, you know, just amplified it by Mr. Sinatra knowing who that guy is. Well, you're, you're right. The story does blow me away, and I can understand why it's something that you will remember for the rest of your life. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's Hot Dog and a Chicago institution since 1893. It's grilling season, so what better than throwing some mouth-watering Vienna hot dogs and Polish sausages on the grill, then drag them through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt. I don't know about you, but I'm getting hungry. And look for the new spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available just about everywhere from restaurants, grocery stores, and the ballpark, socks and cubs, museums, and zoos. You can't miss them. Plus, you can purchase them online coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and Amazon. Vienna also has Farm Acres Chili, Mini Bagel Dogs, Condiments, and Classic Deli Meats. Take the word from a guy who grew up on Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. We're talking about the 85 Bears, which, of course, we all know are full of an extraordinary amount of talent and personalities, such as Ditka, McMahon, The Fridge, Mongo, and many more. <laughs> and I'm thinking of Michael Jordan and the Bulls and the description people were telling us, I didn't cover them on the road, mind you, that it was like covering the Beatles. But the 85 Bears, they were kind of like that, weren't they? Yeah, we were because there wasn't, you know, nowadays there's security that escorts you into every hotel you go to. There's a, a kind of a, a roped off area where when the buses pull up, nobody can even get close to you. When the buses pull up, you go into some entrance that isn't identified by all the people waiting out in front. Back then, buses pulled up, thousands of people waiting there with all type of items to be autographed or just wanted to get a picture of Walter or stand next to McMahon or you know, see Dan Hampton and Steve McMichael in real life. And um, it was just uh, for me, you know, for me, George, I spent that whole year in awe of the team I was playing on because when I was playing in the USFL, I had a couple of guys that um, had experiences with the, well, with the Bears. One of them was a, our center, Jerry Sullivan, who had an opportunity to try out for the Bears. And here's a guy that played 10 years in Cleveland and then came to the Bears. And he was kind of giving me forewarning of how physical the practices were. 
how real the everyday life was for an offensive lineman playing against McMichael and Hampton and that whole defense. And to be prepared for it because it wasn't going to be an easy task to go in there and make that football team. So I was nervous. I was in an awe. And then I played with another guy who was a defensive lineman on our team, and his name was Mark Bubin. And he was Steve McMichael's uh, roommate in New England when they played there together. And this guy, Bubin, was as crazy as McMichael. And he also gave me a heads up of, oh, man, you wait till you get around this McMichael guy. This dude's a whole different character. Yeah. And all of my real appreciation for Steve and how he took me under his wing and how he taught me the day-to-day -day preparations and how you had to be prepared mentally and physically to play at the level that they expected us to play at. Steve did as much for me as anybody I've ever come across. But again, it was more of the respect I had for them in all of the Bears because of some of the lessons I was learning from the guys I was playing with in the USFL. And like I said, when we'd come up and pull up to these hotels and I would see these thousands of people waiting to get a glimpse of the Chicago Bears, because I grew up in the area, because I was in awe of Walter Payton, because I was a Bears, I, you know, now I'm a Bears season ticket holder. I, I spent that whole year in, in awe of every one of those guys. I was super intimidated by Mike Ditka, and I wanted to earn the respect of Dick Stanfeld, our offensive line coach. So there was a lot of obstacles I was trying to overcome, even though it was my own team. So, so why, the question will always beg, Tom, did you guys not appear in, let alone win, more Super Bowls? You know, I think we had too many interruptions at the quarterback position at the most significant time of the season. You know, we had injuries to Jim. We had different guys playing quarterback from Flutie to Tom Zach to Fuller and then back to McMahon and stuff. And I think when you have a, a defensive coordinator and an opponent um, preparing for a quarterback that they know is either injured or has limit, limited starting experience, it gives them the edge. And it wasn't something that we were able to overcome when the most important position on your football team was not, you know, the guy that was the best on our team. And that, that, you know, that was a setback and, you know, and it, it, it hurt us at the most important time of, of each season. You know, it's remarkable when you talk about quarterbacks that the franchise really hasn't had an enduring franchise type of quarterback since Sid Luckman, but they did make a bold move during the draft when they managed to move up and select Justin Fields. I'd like to get your impressions of that move and whether you think A, Fields can succeed, and B, if there will be enormous pressure on him and management. There's always pressure. Every one of these guys knows their pressure. There, there was pressure on Justin Fields when he decided to leave Georgia and enter Ohio State. I can't even imagine the pressure on you at that point in a, a much younger man's football life when you're saying, okay, if I'm not going to have the opportunity in Georgia – I'm going to go to one of the biggest programs in the country. And then you imagine the pressure he has walking in there the first day and say, wow, where'd this guy come from? Who is this? Why did he transfer here? So Justin Fields, he understands pressure. And I think that he was able to fulfill everything that was expected of him throughout his career at Ohio State and probably exceed some of the expectations that, that he was presented with. Um, and I do think he's up to it. 
you know, when I, when we started the draft broadcast this year, I didn't want the bears to do any trades or to um, put any future assets um, in a tradable position to get another player. But when they went up to the podium and they announced Justin Fields, I didn't think it was realistic that they would have an opportunity to get him. When they announced his name, I was glad they went up and got him. With the 11th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the My Chicago Bears select Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. Because he is the type of guy that could be a, a generational player for your football team. And he could be that decade-long quarterback uh, that, that the Bears fans have been searching for since the or since football started in 1920 with the Bears. And um, do I think he can live up to all the expectations that's going to be placed on his shoulders? Yeah, he's going to be, um, you know, he's going to be a part of the cast, but the supporting cast is equally as important as the quarterback itself. So um, I'm excited to watch his development starting with rookie minicamp and then going through OTAs and going through training camp. And I wish they would have never placed that QB one on Andy Dalton, because to me, I've always lived going to every single training camp that nobody ever had the position until they earned the position throughout the course of training camp. We'll see what happens. But um, I, I believe that in the modern day NFL, the athleticism that you need um, how that type of athleticism can help you in your growth period. It's it, like I said, it's going to be exciting to watch his career unfold. And, you know, hopefully in 10 years, we can do another podcast like this and we can be talking about, wow, what a career that Justin Fields had and all the Super Bowls and the playoffs and the division crowns that the Bears have been able to earn because of him. And again, I'm not sitting here saying, Andy Dalton won't or can't be the guy. But when you move up and you draft a modern-day quarterback like Justin Fields, we have immediate expectations on him, whether they're fair or unfair. What is it like to think about the illnesses and early deaths of some of your teammates? We lost Walter Payton at 45, Dave Durison at 50, Steve Mongo McMichael is suffering from ALS, McMahon and others are suffering as well. This cannot be easy. Well, you know, the hardest one for me is Dave Duerson because Dave was my roommate at Notre Dame. And Dave Duerson is the most confident 17-year-old kid I've ever met in my life in terms of knowing where he was going, when he was going to do it, and how successful he was going to be. The unfortunate deaths of Walter Payton, um, the issues that Steve McMichael is going through, and some of the other issues that the players have had along the way, the unfortunate part of life that other people have suffered along the way. When the last time I talked to Dave Duerson, it was at one of our reunions and um, I was, you know, talking to Dave and his son of the Dave Duerson that I always knew and respected and loved along the way. And then from what happened to him um, at, at the end result of what happened to him, I was just so disappointed in, because we all cared about him so much and we could have given Dave the support that he needed in any way, shape or form, whether it was living arrangements, financial support, you know, health and encouragement, 
you know, in Chicago would embrace him just like as if he was walking out on the field as the starting safety for the Bears. So I'm super sad in every one of these guys you're talking about. But to me, I, I've always, you know, a little sense of guilt um, about, you know, like I said, what happened to Dave in the end because he didn't deserve it just like the other guys haven't deserved what, what they are fighting or what they went through. Um, but uh, it doesn't diminish how respected they all are and how much they're all loved to the end because, um, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's just un unfortunate what, what's, what's gone on. But, you know, I guess as you get older, I've lost both my mom and dad and I lost a young nephew this past winter that, is devastating in every way, shape, or form, but it doesn't diminish how uh, lovingly I think about every one of them. You know, you do have or did have two parents who would anybody would be very proud of. Your father worked for ComEd for over 40 years. Your mom was a cook or a chef, if you will, at Thayer's Brothers, Deli and Grill, she, until her passing my, back in 2019. And you played a role in that restaurant yeah. as well. My mom always said she's a cook. She's not a chef. And, <laughs> you know, my, my mom is incredible because when my dad, we kind of knew what was going on because he was having some health issues for a little while, but we supported him to the end. With my mom, my mom came home from work on a Wednesday night, fell sh short of breath, called an ambulance, went to the hospital, and she passed away seven days later. So we didn't have the alert to my mom as, as sick as she was. However, that's exactly what she wanted to do. She wanted to work up until the day she could no longer work. And that's exactly what she did. And um, I think the love and support that my mom and my dad gave us as a family, um, we were able to reciprocate in every way possible to my mom and dad, support them, take care of them, and be by their side up until their last breath. And um, it's heart-wrenching to think about, but like I said, like the memories I have of my teammates, I have the same great memories of my mom and dad. You played at Joliet Catholic, you played under Gordy Gillespie, you played at Notre Dame under Dan Devine and Jerry Faust, you played <laughs> with the Bears under Mike Ditka. I have to believe you still love what you do for a living and I also imagine you're not about to walk away from it anytime soon. I, I hope not. You know, it's football means a lot to my family. Like I said, the camaraderie that it's created. You know, George, when my, my older sisters never were able to go to college just because we didn't have those kind of finances in my family. And so they went to work as soon as their high school time was over. My brother earned a scholarship. He set in an example for me that was so inspirational that I was able to earn a scholarship also. And then we went to college. Every one of my nieces and nephews since that time have gone on to college. And I think it was the lead example set by my brother and his achievements. And then what we were all able to accomplish. I have a nephew who's a Dean of students. My brother still coaches freshman football at Joliet Catholic. Each one of my family members have gone on to, um, just do an incredible job with their families and their kids and their, their work ethic life. And um, as much as my mom and dad were the inspiration, my, my brother set an example to all of us that we were good enough to 
earn a position to get into college that my mom and dad didn't have to pay for that, you know, we could even try to set an example for everybody coming behind us. You know, I have a nephew that's a doctor. I have two nieces that are attorneys. I have a niece that works for the Chicago Catholic League's charity. And when you see what they have all been able to accomplish, I think it all stems from the work ethic that my mom and dad have demonstrated to all of us throughout their life. I ask this final question to all of my guests, Tom, if not for football, what would you have been? I had no other option, George. I never gave myself another option. I never had the fear of failure. I had such the fear of failure that I never had a plan B. I would have crossed that bridge when I came to it, but when I started being dedicated to football, to the weight room, to the conditioning, to the people that I surrounded myself with, that I knew that where I was going. And I knew that there was not gonna be anything that was gonna hold me back. It's safe to say that it's all worked out, Tom. Thank you, Tom Thayer, for telling me a story I don't know. Thank you, George. My thanks to WBBM Radio, the Chicago Bears, ABC Sports, The Huckabee Show, and Jazz Break TV for those fabulous highlights. Thanks, as always, to T.J. Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing, T.T. Shinkin for her artistic touch, and Ken Schreiner for always being there. And, of course, to our presenting sponsors, the Polina Market. Find them at polinamarket.com and the Vienna Beef Company in business since 1893. You can find them at viennabeef.com. Join me next time for another edition of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.